Broadcasting around the world on the World Wide Web. Yeah. Broadcasting live from the Josie Network Studios in downtown Medina, Tennessee. It's that time of week again. It's time for the Josie Show. Bringing you the most exciting music news and guests from around the world. Right here on the Josie Show. Please make welcome. Beautiful, talented, the lovely, America's radio sweetheart, Mrs. Josie Asentino Boone. Hello, hello everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is our Josie Show 600th episode special. I can't believe it. Woo! I am so excited. 600th episode special and over 3,000 plus interviews. Um, it's just, it's mind-blowing, but I've loved every second of it and loved every second spending time with y'all, and thank you so much for keeping tuned in here with us every week. We truly appreciate it. And my guest today, we have a fabulous guest today, who is Fox 17's Rock and Review host and author of B.B. King's Lucille and the Loves Before Her. Please welcome to the Josie Show my guest, Eric Dahl. Hello, Eric. Hi, Josie. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a blast. Uh-huh. You know, I I keep up with you on everything, so it's uh, like we were talking before we started this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of interesting to be on the uh, receiving, inter- you know, part of interviewing instead of me doing the interview. Right. I know, and it's even crazier for us because we're like, wait, he he interviews people. I hope I hope my questions are okay. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, you always do a great job with all the artists you bring on. It's just that, you know, I'm kind of, you know, like a media outlet guy, you know, mm-hmm. just like you. Before we dig in, when I was prepping for this interview, I thought it was really cool that your love for music started at very a young age due to your father playing the bass. So did you always know that you would be doing something within the realm of music? You know, it's so funny you bring that up because, uh, yeah, you know, my dad was, was a, a bass player and, mm-hmm. and a trombonist, and so it was always, you know, uh, from the time I was little, it was always around me and, and mom was, you know, she's still a huge music fanatic on all styles of music. So, yeah, so I started playing guitar at age five wow. and, uh, you know, jamming with my dad. And I'm still very close to my uh, original, you know, guitar teacher who has been a family friend all my life. And so, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think, you know, I think most of us, you know, start out, you know, when you're around music and around musicians, which I always enjoy and I know you do as well. Mm-hmm. Um that you're going to be performing the music. And so that was kind of the road I went down in the beginning. Or even when I graduated high school, um, you know, back in Jackson, Missouri, I uh, I came to Belmont for a semester to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I, I was studying guitar, and I, you know, studied guitar even at college uh, before I left Missouri uh, with night classes on weekends, studied jazz and classical. But to come here to Nashville, and, uh, and I think a lot of people find this, you know, musicians and songwriters to where the bar – is truly raised higher here yeah. and where, you know, you might be pretty darn good or even the best in the, uh, you know, in the small town you're from and you come to Nashville and it's like, oh, there are much better people here. Yeah, I think that was the, the moment, you know, after doing a semester at Belmont, I learned a huge amount of uh, guitar from uh, Dr. John Pell and everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, 
I went back to uh, Cape Girardeau and went to SEMO and got my degree in TV and radio. Mm-hmm. and just got a music minor in jazz and classical, but I I still perform. I play at church. I play. Uh, I torture tourists and local people at songwriter rounds with my original songs. And, mm-hmm. um, so I'm still involved with it. You know, I probably play guitar almost every day just because uh, it makes me feel better. Yes. I mean, it's so healing, isn't it? I mean, when you can just sit back and just play the guitar, I mean, there's nothing better. <laughs> I think it really centers you. I think when, yeah. you know, when, when music is in your DNA, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's performance or a songwriter or whatever, I don't think you can ever really stop it. And and for me, being able to enjoy that and also, you know, play music with other people, I uh, I play like one or two gigs a year uh, up in Missouri uh, with some friends, and I'm, I'm the utility guy, so I get to play all the weird instruments. <laughs> That's always fun also to where it's like, you know, just getting to go do that and, and be a little rock star for a little while, and then you just come back to Nashville and do your thing. But, yeah, I think, you know, much like yourself to where the, the interviews, I was trying to explain this to someone, Josie, to where... Mm-hmm interviewing the artist and and that I'm not really stuck with one genre of music or style to where that's kind of taken the place. You know, when I was uh, in Vegas, you know, during doing TV during the day and I was playing casinos at night and weekends, mm-hmm. um, I was gigging a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in Nashville, you know, um, everybody's trying to make it. And I was never trying to make it. I was just trying to support a guitar addiction. Right. So that I could go and buy guitars, pedals, and amps when I wanted to. Yeah. And, uh, and I think now, you know, with, with my interviews, you know, here in Nashville, you know, with the Rock Interview, it affords me the opportunity to fill that music void with interviews and, and focus on artists and their music, their charities, their books, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it kind of gives me that music buzz still. You know, it's, uh, right. I, it feels like five seconds goes by when I'm interviewing people. You know, you do all the prep and you pick out the clothes, or, you know, the TV clothes, mm-hmm. and then it's like... What do you mean the interview's over? We just started. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love it. And at this point you I'm sure you have quite the collection of guitars and amps. You need to, you know, have have you know, for people to pay for tickets and go. It should be a museum at this point. You know, it's so funny because you know, that was you know, when I was gigging all the time in Vegas, yeah. I really accumulated, you know, a lot just because uh I was doing values for the pawn shops and music stores also. I was kinda like you know, Walter Carter or George Gruen here in Nashville, but I was like the Las Vegas version. Yeah. So where when they weren't sure what they had at a pawn shop or music store, they would call me in. And uh, and I did it for free, and so they would give me good deals. And then playing at the casinos, you know, I had extra cash all the time, and so if I wanted to buy something, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll sell it to you, you know, uh, at what we have in it. The only time they didn't uh, was the, when I accidentally bought B.B. King's stolen guitar at the mm-hmm. pawn shop. And that time I had to pay full price because they were, it was coming out of a pawn, falling out of pawn, and somebody had to come back for it or anything. And so they, they were like, yeah, we're going to have to have full price on this one. And so, you know, at that time in 2009, Josie, that was the most I'd ever paid for a guitar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm glad I did because it ended up being a great experience. Yes, there's such a great photo of the two of you together as well. That, sh- that must have been such an incredible experience. And I'm sure he was incredibly grateful as well. It, it was so wacky because, you know, once again, as you brought up in the interview, I, you know, I play guitar since I was five and, yeah. and my parents and, uh, you know, gotten me guitars. I've bought guitar, bought guitars and certainly friends and family have given me music here over the years. But yeah, that was, uh, it was such a strange deal to where the pawn shop had called me in and I bought a Lucille from them just a year or two earlier. Mm-hmm. Gifts from Lucille, you know, BB King signature model. And, um, 
And so I went in on this one to look at it at the pawn shop, and it was all covered in sweat and was just nasty. And, and I flipped it over, and on the back of the headstock, it said prototype once. And, you know, as a guitar guy and, and collector and player, you don't see many prototype ones out in the public. Usually the artist keeps them or the guitar company keeps them or they're in a museum or something. So mm-hmm. at that point, I knew it was unique, and I thought maybe King played it for five minutes, um, you know, and gave it away or sold it. I never dreamed in a million years that it was his or that it was stolen from him. Right. And so I ended up, you know, um, researching it for two and a half months. And finally, Gibson calls me up and goes, well, you know, um, you've got a Gibson BB King Lucille. I'm like, yeah, you're not helping me. i got three of those in my house already. <laughs> no, no, Mr. Doll, that is BB King's 80s birthday present, wow. Lucille, that, that Gibson gave him. And he would like it back. Wow. I'm like going, oh, my God. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just never expect to hear. And then, uh, and then the, the people at Gibson were, were like, how much is it going to cost, you know, to get that back? And I said, it's going to cost nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, I mean what I said. I said, I'm not, I'm not charging B.B. King or any other musician for their stolen instrument. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, had I known, I wouldn't have bought it, but I'm, I'm glad I did so I can return it. Mm-hmm. And so since I wouldn't uh, take money, uh, then B.B. King's people called me. And they're like going, how much is it going to cost you if B.B. King would still back? I said, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Gibson. I'm not taking any money for this. I said, I'm going to give it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, well, what do you want, Mr. Doll? I said, <laughs> Well, if you could give me a Lucille to replace it, that'd be cool because, I mean, it's the most I'd ever spent on a guitar at that time. I think it was uh, like $2,163 with tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then after I got done with BB's people, they were like, well, Mr. King wants to meet you now. Oh, <laughs> nice. And that's how the whole thing went down, like when you saw the picture, yeah. where I had to wait until uh, Mr. King was off tour. And at that time, he was in studio with Joe Bonamassa yeah. uh, there in Las Vegas. And uh, he would not accept his Lucille back until he had one to give me. And so that's what he was working on. And so that's why it ended up happening that, that November in 2009. And, and I met him at his office, and he was amazing. Um, you know, it, it's amazing when you meet, you know, somebody that you idolize, like B.B. King, which I had and my dad had. And, and they are just as incredible as you hoped. And he invited me back to his office, and I got to bring a photographer with me to take some pictures, luckily, because the story sounds so ridiculous. Nobody else would believe it otherwise. <laughs> and uh, he offers me a Diet Coke, and I'm sitting in the chair next to him. And then uh, I open up the case and hand him the guitar, and, and Josie, you would have thought I gave him a million dollars. Wow. Because he never thought he would see that guitar again because it was stolen from him out of his home mm-hmm. and hopped at a pawn shop. And he was so thrilled, and then he got a Lucille for me. He signed it to me, signed a book for me, gave me T-shirts, picks all this. I spent like 45 minutes mm. with one of my musical idols returning his stolen guitar and talking with him about Bo Diddley and about music and mm-hmm. about Lucille. And it was just, it was priceless. And then uh, after all that, I came up with the idea. I went back home to Missouri to see family, you know, over Christmas. And I was like, you know, nobody's written a book on Lucille. I wonder if Mr. King would let me do that. Mm-hmm. And I reached out, and they were like, well, nobody knows more about Lucille than you, so go ahead. I finished, like, half the book in Las Vegas, and then I completed it here in Nashville. So the, the first edition <clears throat> came out in 2013, and then I did an updated edition in 2020 because um, B.B. King wrote the intro for the first one. <laughs> and after interviewing Charlie Daniels here in Nashville and finding out that Charlie – uh, and B.B. were friends, and, and Charlie and I became friends. Charlie wrote the open for the new one, 
And then I added six new chapters to the book. Mm-hmm. So I've got a full interview with J.C. Curley from Gibson talking about Lucille. And so it's just, it's been, a, it was a great experience, you know, just doing the right thing and returning that Lucille to Mr. King. And that's the only guitar that he toured with from 2009 until 2014 when he stopped touring. Mm-hmm. And he had 300 guitars. And so it, it sold at auction, I think, two or three years ago, Josie. Mm-hmm. For $280,000. And I owned it for two and a half months. And, you know, that week that I knew I was going to return it, I played it every night. Because yeah. it, it's like, you know, it's an 80s birthday model and a prototype one. And I knew I would never get to play it again, you know, once I returned it. And people ask us, like, well, you know, after they made all that money on it, do you feel like you should have gotten something? I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. I did the right thing. I returned a stolen guitar back to B.B. King. Exactly. And that's the only guitar he played. You know, for uh, for five years, mm-hmm. you know, and and it, you can't feel bad about doing the right thing. It wasn't about the money uh, or anything. The, the experience with being able to sit there with DB in his office and see how happy he was, you know, to to get his uh, favorite guitar back. I mean, and of all the stolen Lucille's, because I guess there were a number of them stolen over the years, mm-hmm. that was the only one returned in history. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And so it's sort of a footnote because, you know, when I was talking with Joe Bonamasso one time interviewing him, and I said, you know, we were over at Carter Vintage Guitar, and I said, hey, you remember that time you were in the studio with B.B. King in Las Vegas back in 2009? He's like, oh, yeah. I said, do you remember when he had to go get his stolen guitar back? I'm like, and he goes, yeah, I remember that. I said, I'm kind of that guy. What do you mean you're kind of that guy? I said, I'm kind of the guy that <laughs> gave it back to him after I bought it from a pawn shop. Surprise. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Joe ends up going and posting uh, the most popular stolen guitars in history, and I think the the BB King one comes in at number three. Wow, that's amazing. So, so right I have thing? a footnote in history with BB King now, just for you know returning that stolen one. But you know, it's just wacky stuff you can't make up, Joe. You can't make that up, and you did the right thing. That's what it's all about. And these books are available still on Amazon everywhere. So find them. Find it. Read it. It was fun. You know, it was it was fun doing the book signings back in 2013 mm-hmm. because I got to go. You know, I did like five book signings here in Nashville, and I did one uh, up in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I did one in Las Vegas. But you know, when the second edition came out in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, during the pandemic, I couldn't do any book signings. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of people that bought the new one have, uh, you know, asked if they could send it to me, and, and I would sign it to them. And I'm always happy to. I mean. You know, that's Charlie Daniels that, you know, wanted a copy of the first one. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I signed it for him and sent it to him. And, you know, it's fun to do that. I mean, it, you know, the books, both the books were a labor of love. And I'm thinking about a third book. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things, Joe, that you've got to love doing it, you know, just like you and I do in interviews. Because books, unless you're a New York Times bestseller, you're not going to make money. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to do it because you love it. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting, too, because, like, uh, Dan Rather's people uh, reached out to me been years ago now, um, maybe 2014, 2015, I thought they were punking me <laughs> because uh, the gal calls me up and goes, hey, Mr. Dollar, are you the one that returned D.D. King's Lucille? I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, like, are you trying to buy my house? What's going on? And, uh, and the young lady was a producer for Dan Rather, and so she bought my book and then used that kind of as the shooting guide for this story because they're planning on doing a whole show with Dan Rather. Um, on B.B. King, but then multiple artists passed away at that time. Right. And so it just ended up being one segment that can still be seen. But I'm in an interview, and so is Tony Coleman, B.B.'s drummer. And uh, it was fun, but it's kind of, it's like I was telling you, Josie, it's like, it's like a, I got a small niche. I'm like the Lucille Whisperer. Yeah. So if, if anybody around the world need 
has questions on Lucille, they'll track me down and ask me. Yeah, you're the guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've got so much information. I did so much research on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just love it, you know, being able to have a, a, a small niche like that. And also, you know, especially being able to return B.B. King's Lucille to him and, and how much that meant and that it was the only Lucille he played for his remaining years. That is such an incredible story. I'm so glad you shared that because it's just such a cool story of if you do the right thing, you know, good things will come to you. And I'm so glad that, you know, he was able to receive his Lucille. Because for a musician, that is that is a huge thing. You know what I mean? You, you know, right. musicians do not want to lose their instruments. And for it to be stolen, it's just it's just so sad. Um, but it, it, it had a, a happy ending. Um, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, they did. They did. He was, so, he was, like I said, he was so happy. And you can see in those pictures, too. Yeah. They're, they're all over online because, you know, when the news hit of it, it like went international, um, you know, with that story because it was just one of those warm fuzzies. Once again, you would have thought I gave him a million dollars because, you know, because everything was still in the case and, and he was just so thrilled to have her back and, and play it again. And, and I asked him, too, because on the 80th birthday model, they have what looks like uh, diamonds and their cubic circle. You know, they're not the real diamonds. Mm -hmm. And so I asked Bebe when I'm sitting there next to him, Joe, I go, Mr. King, do you think Gibson might have put real diamonds in the headstock of yours since this is prototype one and, and you are Bebe King mm -hmm. and this does carry your name? And she goes, oh, Eric, Gibson wouldn't put real diamonds in my guitar. And I thought, yes, they might have. They might have. <laughs> but, but who knows now, you know, whoever owns that, that guitar and owns that history now. I just I hope they uh, treat it as the museum piece it is, yeah. and how much uh, BB enjoyed it and loved that guitar. Because I mean, even the original Lucille that he saved from the uh, house fire in Twist, Arkansas, was stolen from. Mm. So there were many Lucilles over the years that were stolen, and uh, I'm just glad one of them, you know, that I was able to return it to him and so he could enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. And I love your love for music gear. And you do music gear reviews for, you know, huge magazines like Maverick, American Songwriter. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that. You know, it's so funny because uh, uh, I didn't, I started, you know, after the whole B.B. King, Lucille deal, mm -hmm. I started working with Guitar Blue Books. Yeah. And so I became one of their, uh, you know, uh, contributing editors. And so, you know, obviously with, with collecting and playing and owning hundreds of guitars over the years. Uh, I was working with Blue Book, and I still do, particularly on the on the Gibson, B.B. King, Lucille sections. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a, a friend of mine from the U.K., Dennis Drum, uh, knew of a magazine, uh, Maverick Country Music, as you and I both know. Mm -hmm. um, Maverick Country was looking for another Nashville writer. And so they reached out to me, and I started writing music gear reviews for them, so I'm like there, you know, I've been with them over eight years now. Hard to believe. Wow. And uh, and so I'm the U.S. editor for all all things music year for Maverick Country Magazine. And then I started working with Bruce Sadoff also, who at the time had Christian Musician, Collectible Guitar Magazine, and now he is uh, the publisher for Worship Musician Magazine. Mm -hmm. And I started working with Bruce not long after that, also doing music year reviews, but a very different audience, you know, right. for uh, praise team leaders and, and everything like that. And then, uh, and then at a point uh, last year, I started working with American songwriters. And uh, mm -hmm. once again, you know, you're targeting more songwriters that are looking to use music gear. And so it's been a lot of fun for me because, like you mentioned, I've always collected and played. And I've gone to the NAM show out in Anaheim, which I attended this year a month ago. 
uh, in Anaheim, California, the National Association Music Merchant. And they uh, every year, that's where they show all the new music gear. And so you're able to play it. You're able to talk with the manufacturers. But also with these little companies, which I love, you're able to talk with these people that maybe they just created this piece of music gear in their house, and they brought them the prototype to the NAM show, and you're like going, okay, well, what makes this, this different? Why is this guitar different? Why is this pedal, amp, you know, whatever accessory you made? And to me, I just get a rush out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I've got a bunch of new gear uh, that was shipped in. It's like it's sometimes my, my house and my, my office looks like I work for Guitar Center. You know, I think <laughs> even the last time you were in here in the studio, because there's like there's a Taylor box, there's a mm-hmm. Fender box, you know, Gibson's sending me something. And so they, they loan me all this music gear um, so that I can write the articles and actually have hands-on with the music. And I think that's what's fun to where, you know, when people ask me, it's like, okay, well, what's the best new little amplifier out? It's like, well, here's what I just had, you know, in for review, the positive grade mini spark, you know. Yeah. And it's fun to be able to speak intelligently about those things and actually play them and have your hands on them and make music with them. And I think it gives you a different perspective. And so getting to write for these magazines, to me, it's just it's, it's a dream come true because, you know, as a kid, I always read them, you know, I'd read them from cover to cover, you know, the ads as much as the articles, and now to be writing with those, and, you know, when you see your articles published, you know, and it's like going, okay, that's that's kind of fun. It's so fun. Today, to date, you actually had over 10,000 published articles, so you're not doing too bad. <laughs> no, I'm not, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, by design. I wish I right. could say it was, Josie. You know, I just started down the path, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, I just wrapped up my articles for uh, for Maverick Country last night because, you know, um, doing TV during the day and, and certainly trying to spend as much time with my teenage daughter as I can, mm-hmm. then uh, I usually write articles at night and on weekends. And, uh, you know, and I've got music gear lined up down my hallway, and <laughs> as soon as I get done with it, then I reach out to the company and go, hey, can you guys send me a shipping slip? I need to send this back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's like, yeah, it's like it's like the music gear comes to visit me, you know, and then and then if I want to buy the piece, you know, sometimes they'll give me a, a bargain price. Yeah. But that's the only downside because then all the magazine money I would be earning goes to more music gear, but you know it would anyway. Right, that's what I'm saying. I was gonna say it will. Come on, you just it it, it can't it can't be any other way. <laughs> no, it really can't because you know it's funny because I, I was uh, speaking to someone last week. You know, when my daughter was younger, we used to play senior centers. In fact, we started doing that in Las Vegas when my uh, grandmother, uh, Grandma Doll, was in an Alzheimer's facility. And then we continued doing it uh, here in Nashville when we moved here back in 2011. And I'm really wanting to get back to that because, you know, kind of like playing at church, I always enjoyed playing the senior centers because, you know, a lot of times that the, the music would move these people. And that may be the only entertainment they get that week, you know, or that day. Right. And so I think I'm going to start doing that again just because uh, it makes me feel good to see them feeling good. And so uh, I'm going to start checking with some senior centers and uh, doing my senior center tours again. That would be so much fun for you and for them. I mean, it's much needed, I feel. That would be great. It is. It's kind of like the playing the songwriter rounds, you know, yeah. when, I, when I go out and do that. And it's always so intimidating because, you know, I play cover songs all my life. Mm-hmm. But here in Nashville, if you want to play out, you have to play your originals. And, uh, and particularly with the last two years of my life, which has just been kind of a train wreck with health and everything, mm-hmm. I got a lot of new material, Josie. I know. Right? That's what I'm saying. You can be. <laughs> so I'm really going to, you know, I, I think what I'm going to do is, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's kind of like 
I never dreamed of writing books and I never dreamed of, you know, writing for magazines, but I think I'm going to try and do an EP or an album yes. and invite some, uh, some friends on that have maybe been on my shows and stuff with me and just to prove that I can do it and put out an EP or album and not that I'm looking to do anything with it, but I just want to prove to myself I can do it. It's kind of like the interviews that you and I do. Yes. It's like who would have thought that we would get the opportunity to to hang out and, and talk with these people that we listen to the radio on, that we've seen in concert. We get to ask them questions that other, you know, viewers and listeners would like to. Right. I mean, that's it's the coolest job. It really is, honestly. And I love what you do with Rocket Review on Fox 17 Nashville. You guys all have to check it out. Just It's like a conversation. As you know, Mom and I were on your show not too long ago. Right. I can't wait for right. everybody to hear it. But it's like talking to a friend. You know what I mean? You're so comfortable in what you do. And you deal with music of all genres and also independent artists as well. This is great. You know, I, and it's so funny, and you and I talked about that, too, because we parallel each other so much with <laughs> our interviews, but it's like, I have never, you know, I started the, the interviews, the whole idea when I came up with this, when I moved back here to Nashville, was that nobody was really doing interviews that could talk about music here. Right. And so I approached the news director at that time, and I said, hey, why don't you guys, you know, do an interview that, that touches on some music here, because we're in Music City. And the news director said, yeah, if you want that done, you're going to have to do it. I'm like, that's not the idea. The idea is that a reporter or an anchor does it. I'm the creative services director. And she was like, well, if you want it, you got to do it. And so mm -hmm. um, when I started the show back in January of 2012, yeah, it was just me. You know, and I was talking about music gear and all this. So then one of the producers says to me, Eric, you've got so many friends in, in music and in bands and everything. Why don't you ask them to come on the show with you? So then, Josie, what happened was I started inviting all these side people, you know, like Jeff King that plays for Reba, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Kenny, you know, that plays for uh, Kenny Chesney. And so I knew all this, these musicians. And then after that happened, it just kept evolving to where the, the headlining artists go, wait a minute, if you're on Fox 17 on this rock interview, why am I not? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way it kind of progressed to where, you know, in the beginning, you know, I kind of had to, like, beg people to come on the show. And they're like, and they didn't understand it also because, you know, and I'm sure you get the same thing mm -hmm. to where I'm like, yeah, it's, it's in the news. I mean, you're you're on Fox 17. They weren't getting it, you know, and, right. and also that, you know, that I didn't have a an assistant or somebody. It's like, you know, it's kind of like you and your mom. I'm mm -hmm. like a one-man band. Exactly. And so it's like I'm booking the interviews, I'm doing the prep, I do the interviews, I promote them. But then a, a, the turning point for me was about five years into it, Josie, where a, where a PR – it was like, it, for some reason, that whole six months or a year uh, in 2017, but, but the cherry on the, on the top of it was when the PR people called and said, hey, we just had somebody drop out. We have a 10-minute window with Dolly tomorrow. Do you want it? I'm like, yes. Yeah. Before it was even out of their mouth, it was yes. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I did a huge amount of prep. You know, I had a folder that was probably an inch thick. I don't know how many times I listened to her new album. And uh, to have 10 minutes with Dolly Parton, you know, in her studio, and she was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And we had a, a great connection with the interview and, and uh, talked about her music and about what an incredible businesswoman she is. And, uh, and you know, and it was so surreal, Joseph, because then she leans over after we're done, pats me on the arm and goes, Eric, I forgot how much you research and prep for these interviews. It sure is fun. And so and then I, I asked her PR guy, because, you know, that interview was going to go up. Uh, national with our company yeah. and I said hey can we get a picture with Dolly to help promote this and goes 
no, sorry, we don't have time. She's got to go do something for Germany. And I'm like, okay. And then Dolly hugs me and goes, oh, there's time for Eric. Oh, she's awesome. Like, I mean, you know, and it was kind of like it was the lead up that whole year to where I think I'd have Kenny Rogers on and, mm-hmm. and Charlie Rich and uh, Brad Paisley and then Dolly. But for some reason, Josie, after I had Dolly on, everybody's like going, well, we got to get on the show now. So then everybody started knocking down my door, mm-hmm. wanting on, because Dolly had been on. And, and that's, you know, being able to have somebody on, you know, A-listers on. And I enjoy all of them, just like you do with your show, to where I like having the up-and-comers on mm-hmm. so that they, so that when they hit it big, they remember you. Mm-hmm. And I like having, you know, the the uh, legendary people on and the A-listers. And you kind of want to mix it back. And, and I've never really looked at whether or not they had a label deal or not. Uh, quite honestly, Josie, I listen to the music. Right. So if, if the PR people send me the music and the music's good and it's and it's a fun backstory, give me a nugget. Give me something that's interesting, you know, about this artist or something that people didn't know. Well, that's a fun interview. And just like you said, um, you know, I don't use a teleprompter for the interviews. What I do is I, I print out a huge amount of information, usually what the PR people send me, and then I go digging myself. And then what I do is I highlight it all, and then just like back when we were in school, I hand write out all my notes, yeah. and I listen to their music, or I read the book, or the, go to the site for the charity, you know, just like the Bacon Brothers that I did today. It's like I went to Kevin's uh, charity website, and I listened to their new EP, and I did, I did all new prep, even though I've had them on the show, you know, twice before. But to me, and, and for you and I both, you know, I want it to be a very enjoyable experience for anybody that comes on the Rock Interview so that they tell their friends and they want to come back because I would never hang anybody out to dry. I mean, just um, last week I had Ted Nugent on. Yeah. And, you know, and some people thought, well, you know, he's going to be talking politics and all this stuff. It's like, no. We're, we, you know, we're going to talk music and we talk guitars and we talk tour and, mm-hmm. and all this. And, and that's the way it is. I'm never going to hang any artist or band or anyone out to dry because I want them to come back on. And I want it to be a fun experience. And I think it's what you put out there. So it's just like, you know, you and I both do to where if you come into it with a positive feeling and, and you've done all your prep, then I think that the artists and the bands can feel that. And I think they reciprocate. I mean, I had Ingbe Mountain on, I guess, mm-hmm. a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was amazing. And everybody's like, well, you don't know. And, and I've been warned about some of these artists I've had on over the years. It's like, well, sometimes they're not very nice. And to me, I kind of like that challenge now. In fact, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to start seeking out people that they say are the horrible interviews. Right. To see to see if I can have a good one with them. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I, I've I been so fortunate and blessed over the years to have, I mean, and I'm into like 700-something, I think, yeah, 720 interviews as of today. Wow. And Amazing. it's like, you know, I, I just I haven't had any bad ones. It's just all degrees of good. You know, like I had Lindsay L on, I think a month or so ago, mm-hmm. and, and she was in the studio, Josie. It was funny because she's like going, you know what's so nice, Eric? She goes, you listen to the music, you say my name right, mm-hmm. and you actually know what's going on with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it shows that, unfortunately, for, you know, interviewers and people like you and I, you know, journalists that, that do this, that there are people out there that don't. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sad because then you're wasting an artist or a band's time and I think it's an insult to them if you and I don't do our prep. Because I, I was in an interview session one time, and my team and I wrapped up. We were breaking down our cameras, and, uh, and another uh, interviewer went up and was interviewing the artist. 
didn't know the name of the new album, didn't know the name of their last album, and hadn't listened to any of the music in the new album. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, w- I was embarrassed for that. Yeah, that's not good at and, all. And, I'm, and mm-hmm. I'm telling my guys, you know, as we're breaking down the video camera, it's like, go, 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 yeah, get out of here. Yeah, awkward. Oh. And, and I just, I never want to be in that place because yeah. to me it's an insult to mm-hmm. whoever you're in. If you are giving of your time to me to talk with our audience and be a part of it, then I need to do my prep. And, you know, yeah. and like you saw too, it's like I've got a folder you know, mm-hmm. on every artist or band or person I've interviewed over the years. So amazing. <laughs> I love and it. then what I do is, like, every time I, it, you know, we've had, like, Charlie Daniels was on four times. Mm-hmm. Every time he came on, I built a new sheet to add into the folder. I'm glad that you keep all those. I do the same. I keep all of my interviews and all of that just because to look back on it. You know what I mean? That's the cool It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, and I know the same for you. Mm-hmm. To where when you look, I don't look backwards a lot. You know, right. I was on a plane. Uh, this past weekend, and, and the lady would say, well, who got on the show? And I'm like, oh, I really have to think about it. Yeah. But I can tell you, I can tell you who's coming up. Right. You know, like, I, you know, I can tell you, know, you know, the, the artists that I've got coming up and the bands I've got coming up, but it's like, you just don't have much time to look backwards. And uh, people, you know, uh, joke with me because it's like I've got so much going on, you know, with the, with the day job as actually being a creative services and program director mm-hmm. for the three TV stations and then, the Rockin' of You is my passion project, which I get to do here at the TV stations, and then uh, and then the magazines and, and the books and all that other stuff that we, you know, the Nashville side hustle. Yeah. And but I think it all feeds your heart and soul, and I think you've got to have those creative outlets. Um, otherwise, you go crazy if if you're if all you're doing is what you feel you have to and what you're responsible for. People like us uh, have to have those creative outlets, and, and it's been very fortunate for me. You know, I think last year, Josie, we started um, doing a half-hour show. My general manager wanted us to take the longer-form interviews mm-hmm. that are on YouTube under Rock Interview 17, and so now we take the longer interviews and make them into a half-hour show that mm-hmm. airs on uh, on Saturday here in Nashville, and then it's airing in the Tri-Cities also, and it may be going to some other markets. But it's just one of those fun things to where <laughs> you and mm-hmm. I both know. It's kind of like what you and your mom have done with the Josie Awards and everything to where you start out with a silly little idea mm-hmm. and then things kind of evolve. Yeah. And then, you know, you, it's funny to look back, you know, to where, you know, here was the, uh, the original seed for this idea. And then suddenly now this rock and review thing. I think one of the things that, that makes me feel good, Josie, is mm-hmm. to where when artists and bands post out the interview that you did, you know, it's like um, Stuart Copeland from the police, just an amazing interview with him because he's doing the police deranged, you know, working with symphonies all around the world. Yeah. And the guy's a genius, just a musical genius. Mm-hmm. But uh, he loved the interview so much, he posted it out on all of his platforms. Oh, that's the best. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's just, it's a hoot. You know, mm-hmm. one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me, and you're going to get a laugh out of this, where I was at Carter's, go figure, right, looking at guitar. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, I can't remember if it was during NAMM show, some kind of guitar show going on that week. And, uh, and this young man, uh, is looking at a guitar and he turns to look at me and he goes, uh, Nags guitars. I'm going, no, that's not a Nags. That's a Gibson you're looking at. He goes, no, you did the interview with Nags. I'm like going, oh my God. Oh my goodness. And he was from Japan. Wow. Yeah. And it's, 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 so, it's so funny because, you know, like when I go to the NAMM shows, and I, everybody always jokes me because that's like my little niche to where everybody knows me. Yeah. You know, to where, you know, the manufacturers know me, the musicians, and, and I got to do some interviews for the NAMM show 
uh, this past month and hopefully more next year. But it's just, it's such a fun thing to me because it's my wheelhouse. You know, I'm very comfortable. It's, you know, when I first got here to Nashville, I didn't know the country music artists as well as I knew the blues and the rock and the jazz and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I would talk to people that came in, you know, the studio and, and someone would say, you know, at the station go, Hey, do you have any idea, you know, who you were talking to, you know, that was up front? I said, no, but I can tell you what guitar and pedals and amps they used in tonight at the opera. Mm-hmm. And that was, <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> that's still sort of my thing, you know, when I had Johnny Lang on the show, you know, years ago, and we got done with the interview, and I'm walking Johnny back up to the front, and he's like, Eric, I gotta tell you, this is the first time I've ever been interviewed on a TV show where I got to talk about my guitars. I said, well, this is the rockin' review. I mean, you know, it's like, I, I, the only thing I have to be careful on, Josie, is that, mm-hmm. you know, I can go pretty deep down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, with the guitars, with the amps, pedals, all the music gear. So, particularly that it airs, you know, on Fox 17 on, on Wednesday and Friday mornings around 8.57 in the morning. Um, I try and keep the two-minute interviews that fall in there to where they're not too much gear talk. You know, there, there may be a mention or something else. You get more of it in the extended interviews. But uh, it, what happened to me was a friend of mine who's a mom, you know, the early interviews, you, you learn. You and I both learn as we go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, this artist you had on, I can't remember the artist even now, she's like, it was a great interview, but I have no idea what you guys were talking about. I thought, that's a problem. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. the stuff that airs, you know, on Fox 17 needs to be to where anybody can enjoy it, even if you don't know the artist or you don't know the music, to where, you know, I hope you come away with going and particularly like indie artists like you and I are talking about, mm-hmm. go and find their music, you know, go and find them on Spotify, go and find them on Reverb, because... All of these artists, just because they're independent artists, doesn't mean they're any less. And and some of them are independent by choice. Mm-hmm. And they have great music, and they do they play great shows, and you need to support them. And, and whether that is by buying their merch, going to see them live, buying their songs, you know, we've got to support that live music, because as you and I know, it's such a hard industry for anybody to make a living at it, and, and they're doing it because they love it. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be supportive. And so that's why, you know, once again on my show, I always make sure and go, you know, go to their website, follow them on social media, just trying to help them out. I mean, it, it feels good. Yes, that's what it's about, is showing that support. And I love what you do. And for people who want to go back and check out all of your interviews, I love the excited, you know, it's on YouTube as well. So um, I hope everyone goes and checks it out because I was I, – I'm not even going to lie. I was spending hours just looking through all the different interviews because yeah, I seen one, and then I would just kept going and going and going because it was just so interesting. And I, I just – You're so sweet. I've seen them all pretty much. Uh, I'm telling you, it was just amazing. And I hope everyone goes and checks out all of the incredible interviews that you do. And coming up, I know you have some great interviews coming up as well. So I hope everyone stays tuned. And you're also all over social networking sites as well, correct? Yes, I am. I mean, if, if people want to keep up, I mean, I've got a website. It was funny. Mm-hmm. I know you are the same with you and your mom with everything mm-hmm. that you do. And so at a point, I had to launch a website because I felt kind of like, you know, you feel like you're bragging, which nobody in Nashville wants to brag. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not a Nashville thing. Mm-hmm. And so because they'd say, well, Eric, what outlets are you on? And at that time, you know, I was like, TV, radio, magazines, book, and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I did a website, uh, which is um, ericdollpublicity.com, and I try and put everything on there now. Um, and it got a web guy, buddy of mine, to build it out for me. And I've got to shoot all new pictures now because I've lost 64 pounds since last year. So as mm-hmm. you saw, when 
when we visited, you know, um, I've lost a lot of weight and I shaved off the goatee, so I'm going to have new pictures shot this month. But yeah. I got that website going, and then I'm on uh, on Facebook, and I'm also on uh, Instagram and Twitter, uh, at Eric Rocks Nash. And I try and post out things just to keep everybody updated, you know, on the interviews. I stopped doing the radio show last last October, I guess, right before I had the appendix burst deal. Right. And uh, and I may start that up again. You know, I've had some people come to me about a possible radio show and podcast. And, and as you know, what I like about that opportunity is you you have more time. Yeah. You know, the challenge, the, the good and the bad of TV, the good of TV is you're hitting a huge audience. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just even with the spots, you know, the two-minute interviews that air, you know, on Fox 17 on Wednesday and Friday. But the downside is that you you only have so many minutes, whereas mm-hmm. with the radio show, um, you know, that I did with iHeart, uh, you know, for uh, three years, and before that I did Acme Radio Gear Gap for three and a half years mm-hmm. downtown, is that you got a full hour. Yes. And I, I really kind of like that, but, you know, I think finding the right outlet, Josie, to where they promote you and and help you do it means a lot. And so that for me to put in the time – because, I mean, you know, you and I have only have so much time, you yeah. know, uh, for all of the things that we want to accomplish and do. And I think if I do the radio show or podcast again, I want to make sure that whoever I do it with is really backing it. So it's not just, you know, Eric and the banjo. Right, and, right. And sometimes, you know, you feel that way to where it's like, going, well, you got to get out and bang your own drums. Like, going, yeah, you know, it's, you know, you've only got so much bandwidth yourself. Exactly. And, and you know, you and I do so much to you know, lockdown interviews and do all these great things. So I'm looking at that again. But like I said, too, I mean, I'm pondering the third book. You know, my publisher would like me to do a few more books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, same thing with thinking about the EP or the album and having to bear my soul with songs about, you know, the horrendous last two years of my life, but I'm still alive. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, I think it, it's, uh, it's funny because when I talk to college students, you know, uh, which I get invited to do and I love doing, it's like you got to prioritize. And I think for people like you and I and everybody, you know, you've got to figure out what are the priorities that you want to accomplish? What are the goals? And then you have to be relentless because if you don't stay relentless, they don't get accomplished. Exactly. Well, I'm going to keep my eyes and ears peeled for what is coming next from you because I am so excited to see what is next. And I know you're constantly on the move like I am. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really am. But before we go, I do have to say, because I did see that you you are, or I don't know if you, you did or you're still doing, but you are a winemaker, and that made me very happy. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up, because my parents actually did the same. Um, they made Chianti. What did you used to make? <laughs> you know, it's so funny, uh, you know, and it's, it's such a uh, – interesting thing that people uh, always enjoy finding about that. Uh, you know, my, my great-grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, Ted Dahl, he made wine and beer back in Peoria like mm-hmm. during Prohibition, so I still got his wooden taps. And then my, my grandma and Grandpa Dahl, they made it in southern Illinois, which was funny because Grandpa was a teetotaler. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so whenever he got ill, I guess it was around um, 97, 98, I took it over. I took over the wine production because my, my father passed away young back in 84. And so I took over wine production, and I still make the wine. In fact, the last wine that I've made, like, are 20-something different kinds. And I like doing it for the for the keeping the traditional wine. I call it dollhouse wine. And so the house is filled with a H-A-U-S. 
because my dad's side of the family was all out of Sweden. Yeah. And so the last two kinds I made, I made a Shiraz, you know, mm. a dry red that I oaked. And then I also made an apple cinnamon to where mm. I broke up cinnamon in it so that you could drink it chilled or you could microwave it and uh, do it like a hot toddy. So I'm thinking now, you know, I've had a lot of friends of mine asking me to do like a sweeter white wine. So I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm going to do like a like a Zinfandel or, or you know, mm-hmm. I just got to figure out what white wine I'm going to do next because I just like the challenge. It's like a giant chemistry project <laughs> in my house. And and then what I do, Josie, is, and I got to get back to doing the labels. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I make the wine in five-gallon carboys, and then I, I bottle it and cork it, and then I give it away to friends and family because I can't sell it. And the only stipulation is you got to return the bottle because the bottles cost me so much money. Right, exactly. And so, but I love doing it. It was like one of those things. It's like you you can't buy it. I can't sell it. And but when I lived back in Missouri, I had a lot of great trades going. Like my uh, my dentist uh, back in Missouri would trade teeth whitening for homemade wine. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then there was this man that made muffins. And once a month, he would come in and bring me a tray of muffins for homemade wine. And I traded for Eric Clapton tickets and you, you name it. <laughs> oh, I had a great barter system going. But, you know, here in Nashville, you know, and when I was on the West Coast in Las Vegas for the 10 years doing TV, they called it moonshine out there because they'd never had real moonshine. Yeah. And you and I both know it's totally different. But um, all I've made is homemade wine. And, I don't, you know, but I love keeping the tradition going. And I'm going to keep doing it. And uh, I think I'm going to do like a sweeter white wine next. And then I may try and do something very Swedish, like a glug for, uh, you know, going into winter. Because it's, just, it's always fun to keep a project going. And people come in and go, what is that? Like, that's the wine that's brewing. That's the wine, guys. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's a family tradition now, so I can't stop doing it, you know? Exactly. you got to keep it up. Oh, it's making me thirsty here, y'all. But I want to thank you. Yes, please. Please do. I would love that. See, I, I don't make it, but I do like to consume it. So you're my guy. <laughs> Thank you. We will make that work. You know, a lot of the people, uh, <laughs> you know, some of the, the artists and different people that have come on over the years, they've, they've requested a bottle. They're like, hey, you know, I'm coming into the studio. Can you bring me a bottle of your homemade wine? I'm like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's fun having that little uh, side family thing going, you know. Yes, that's the best. And I want to thank you so much, Eric, for joining me. And I really appreciate your time. It was so much fun getting to know you. So thank you. Thank you, Josie. I can't wait to uh, see you and your mom here in Nashville. And I think it's a great thing that you guys do with your with your festival and everything else and, and how you shine a light on indie artists, which I think, unfortunately, are sometimes ignored and mm-hmm. they shouldn't be because the quality of music is there. And uh, I just think it's great. I'm glad we connected with all the great things you do. And uh and we'll just start sharing guests between us. Yes, let's do it. I already got a couple here for you <laughs> that I'm going to send over. Well, thank yes. you so much for having me on your show. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I hope to have you back on anytime. And I appreciate you. So thank you so much. Oh, it's such a great time catching up with Eric Dahl. And I do want to mention our interview, my mom and I, when we were on Fox 17 Rock and Review, you could actually watch it now. You could watch it at youtube.com slash rockandreview17 or fox17.com. And what is great about that is we got to talk all about just Music Awards, JMA Fest, and he's just such a, a great guy. I would recommend listening to all of his interviews. It was just so wonderful. Thank you to him for inviting us uh, down there. It was an incredible experience. I want to thank our wonderful 
sponsor for our 8th Annual Josie Music Awards and JMA Fest, Garage Oil Spirits. You could check them out at www.garageoilspirits.com and get yourself some of their American Badass Whiskey. And check out everything that Garage Oil Spirits has to offer. They're wonderful. So that is www.garageoilspirits.com. Check them out, everybody. Mm, I love it. And I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. We appreciate your time, and I'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye. Sisters in Music hosts. Sim Jam Nashville, October 22nd, 2022, part of JMA Fest 2022 at the Nashville Palace. Our stage is sponsored by Prasad Entertainment LLC and C. Natasha Productions. Join us for live music from 12 to 9 p.m. local time. Multiple artists across multiple genres. For more info, please visit www.sistersinmusic.org forward slash events. Hope to see you there. JMA Fest 2022 proudly welcomes country music sensation Craig Campbell on October 22nd to JMA Fest for our evening concert at the Troubadour Nashville. Located at 2416 Music Valley Drive. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. JMA Fest 2022. Craig Campbell goes on at 8. Don't miss it. Get those tickets now at www.jmafest.com slash concert. Presented by the Josie Music Association and Country Blast Radio. Seating availability is limited, so get those tickets now. See you there. The Josie Show is copyrighted property of the Josie Network of Brands. It may not be duplicated, altered, or edited, sold, or aired without written consent from the Josie Show owners. Any copyright infringement of the Josie Show will be subject to legal actions.